it's silly to think that, you know, undoing racism and really deconstructing racism wouldn't benefit all. Because when you walk, if you're a white person, and I've seen this, the clutching of the purse, right? The walking across the street, they're walking in fear too. And that fear has been contrived and it's been manipulated through systemic racism, right? And systemic oppression, right? And that's the reason why it behooves all of us to create streets where nobody's feeling stress, nobody's feeling tension because that stuff is survival instinct. Good. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited about Rio. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, they are amazing. Yeah. One thing that they touch, that they're going to touch on, mm -hmm. that we know they're going to touch on, mm -hmm. is this idea of intergenerational trauma. Yeah, that's a big And one. I think something that none of us really realize, or maybe some of us realize, but at least I didn't for a really long time, yeah. is that everybody actually has some sort of, mm, some sort of trauma. And I think there's a lot of people that be like, oh no, I had a good family, I had mm -hmm. this, I had a that. There is trauma just latent within our system. Mm -hmm. Wherever, for me, it's if we're living in a world mm -hmm. where there is oppression that exists, yeah, yeah, yeah. there is trauma just running through yeah. the water in which you drink yeah. and it's in your veins. It's yeah. within these very subtle, latent kind of cultural norms mm -hmm. that you eat up and that you think are very normal. Mm. Um, and I think it would be really good to talk to them about this. I was recently in St. Croix and I was doing research on the family and I found members of my family all the way back to 1803. Mm. What plantation they were, on, they were on, who owned them, what job they did on the plantation, whether they were picking cotton or seamstress or whatever or cutting sugarcane. And it was just, there, there was like this sense of lineage and kind of like completeness kind of tinged with a, a, a sorrow, of course, for what they experienced and what they lived through. Mm. But there was a sense that I was reconnecting to an ancestral line that made me feel a bit more complete. And that, when we talk about that trauma, just being able to put our hands on those who have gone before and to say, oh, I come from this. And no matter how complex and difficult that is, but to be able to like stand in that truth and then hopefully to gain some healing through that experience and that recognition and that kind of grappling with that reality. So. Yeah. Yeah. What about for you? I mean, you know, it's interesting as you're talking about yeah. the beauty of understanding and at least knowing some idea of where your history is. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's some people that I know in our family. Oh, and it's so empowering to hear their stories. Yeah. But there isn't that there's not that emphasis. And I wonder if more people yeah. knew a bit more mm. about the struggles and the pains and the victories and the gifts of the previous generations yeah. that were their ancestors, how that would give them the, you can do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, take this, I wasn't able, I wasn't yeah. able to do this, this, and this. I yeah. did, now you can go, you have this, this sense of freedom now. I'm so excited about our conversation today. I mean, this is, I know, and it's just gonna be really amazing. I mean, Rio is this incredible indigenous advocate and human rights um, you know, activist is gonna really bring us some profound wisdom. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. You ready to get it going? Let's do it. Rio, so good to have you. Welcome to Undaunted. Yeah, Patiush, thank you all for having me here today. I'm feeling really honored and feeling really good awesome. uh, to be here today on another day. Well, we're, we're so looking forward to the conversation. I mean, your background is so incredible and the work and the advocacy that you're involved in. So I know this is going to be a really rich conversation. But even before we jump in, 
Mm. We would love for you to just offer a quick blessings uh, for mm. this conversation so that we can, uh, you know, create the right space and atmosphere as we begin this, uh, mm. this conversation together. Well, well, first of all, thank you for offering that space and making it. I, I know that creating an intentional space like this is very important for me mm. um, as well. So I'll begin. Uh, to all the four elements. Uh, thank you. So I'm going to go ahead and, and translate this. But I'm saying thank you so much to all the four directions, all the four elements uh, from the heart of the earth all the way to the heart of the sky, all the way to the heart of the cosmos. Thank you so much for having us here. We're here on this day, the Mayan day uh, Amak. And today's day and today's intention is that the way we speak uh, expands. So just putting an intention that the love message we're going to create today really expands into the hearts and minds and souls of of the youth of the of the elders and of all of our community members so they can feel that hope feel uh, that raise feel to get grounded back with their roots and really start reaching for the stars and so we just pray for that we're going to talk in good ways feel that way uh, feel any forgiveness in our heart that we may need to feel today with anybody we we have and also to just uh, forgive ourselves for the way we've treated mother earth creator so we're just going to think that way I'm thinking the relatives and the ancestors of this land. I'm in Tongva lands uh, here in Los Angeles. And I was born and raised in Echo Park, which are also Tongva lands. Thinking about those ancestors and uh, the ancestors of each and every one of us, wherever you may find yourself in the world, thinking about them and all of your own ancestry lineage. And with that, I say, Omateo. Wow. Thank you so much. Thank that you. was really, really beautiful. That was amazing. If we actually could just start every day. I know. <laughs> remembering our ancestors like that, yeah. how that actually changes the way we walk, the way we talk, how we interact with people. Yeah. That was beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Really, really beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rio. You know, man, there's so much to kind of yeah. delve into in terms of your advocacy and your, you know, your public service. And one of the things that you know, I discovered in, in doing some research on you is this kind of advocacy for marginalized peoples in public space. Mm. And that being associated with racial justice, right? And as a black man who moves through public space constantly feeling the kind of haunting impact of hypervigilance, right? Because always looking around, making sure that I'm safe, watching who's around me, I know the tension that that creates inside uh, a person who feels that way as they're moving through public space. And I'm thinking about, you know, our white brothers and sisters who don't usually have to have that concern, right? They take for granted that they can move through public space kind of freely and not have to worry about hyper, you know, surveillance or, you know, being uh, profiled. And I'm wondering, you know, why this advocacy for you, why this is an important issue for you? Why should someone who feels safe in public space care about this issue? How does it impact people from the dominant culture who don't feel, you know, that tension within themselves as they move through public space? Hmm. Yeah, no, that's really powerful that, that you share that experience, you know, thank you for, for opening up being vulnerable and raw, because, it, you know, it's definitely why I've put this at the forefront is understanding that anytime we move through space, Everybody is having a very different perspective and an experience that's totally based on race, gender, class, age, et cetera, right? There's abilities. There's so many things that, that really come in and hamper on us as we're moving through space. So a lot of the advocacy work, as you mentioned, I have been doing recently, has been a lot with more Department of Transportation, transportation agencies and other public agencies that really 
operate uh, the realm of the public way, right? Where we, where with the streets, the intersections, right? That that thoroughfare, and uh, a lot of what I'm I'm pushing for them to understand is that actually nobody feels safe, right? It, it's a facade to feel that anybody feels safe. Everybody feels unsafe in a different way, right? So you know, as you mentioned, you know, as a black man that you mentioned yourself, and even myself as a non-binary, masculine of center, visibly brown person, like. I also feel unsafe because of police because I will get profiled, you know, it's like, oh, no, dangerous brown man. And then they get there and then now they're super confused. Right. right? <laughs> they're just like, whoa, what is this? Who is this? You know, and so the profiling that happens on the street is something that some of us experience. But then you'll have on the flip side. And this is why I always say I'm like, it's silly to think that undoing racism and really deconstructing racism wouldn't benefit all. Because when you walk, if you're a white person and I've seen this the clutching of the purse right the walking across the street they're walking in fear too and that fear has been contrived and it's been manipulated through systemic racism right and systemic oppression right and that's the reason why it behooves all of us to create streets where nobody's feeling stress nobody's feeling tension because that stuff is survival instinct of course if you're feeling stress like yeah, I always have this image of like, sometimes when I get overstressed out, I'm like, I feel like saber-toothed tigers right there, you know, and yeah, then my yeah. fight or flight instincts kick in um, and it gets really intense, right? So part of it is for us to just literally create the safety for everybody because it's going to work out that way. But we have to unearth racism. Like it has to be done. That's so deep because I'm thinking about like, you know, thoroughfares and streets as kind of like the connective tissue that joins yes. one community to the next, one person to the next, right? And to the extent that we don't feel safe in those thoroughfares, kind of as an indicator of the breakdown of our communities, right? And mm -hmm. part of the thing that, one of the things that you talk about so like profoundly and so articulately is about the importance of community, of being grounded in a kind of cultural identity, whatever identity you choose for yourself, but allowing that to be a kind of groundedness and centeredness. And it's not a prioritizing of one community over the other. It actually is a celebration of diversity, right? And that sense of connection. And then you also go further. You talk about this kind of this multi-generational connection, right? A connect, connection to kind of like the ancestral line, which I think is really profound. And we all have this, you know, popular in our culture today is this false dichotomy between the very young and the very old. And I think indigenous communities can teach us a lot about the interdependence of the very old and the very young. And I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit, you know, the importance of the very old and, you know, those who give us wisdom and pass down knowledge, and also the young who are full of the energy and the vitality to create change. No, I mean, I, I love the, net, the, the metaphor you use of connective tissue. Often when I think about the work that I'm doing, which is often named mobility justice or transportation equity or in the urban planning realm, I, I think about my job literally being the arteries of every social justice movement, right? Like there's there's health justice movements, there's food justice movements, there's racial justice movements, but we are literally tackling the arteries because how you get to work, how you get to school, how you get to your fun, how you get to your family, you got to take the streets, right? And so the, this public realm, which seems benign, ends up being actually not very benign and ends up being a very pivotal space to actually move to people to get to these locations and and the pandemic really for so long I, I felt silly that i my mom grew up working i grew up with my mom who grew up cleaning houses you know and it would take us two hours each way 
to get to the places we needed to do clean. So that's four hours like on commuting, right? And and for so long, my advocacy was focused on like, we need more frequent buses so we can get to the houses that we need to clean for your people often, right? For for a long time, that was my advocacy. And, and I think that's still needed and still really relevant. There's a lot of day, there's a lot of day laborers. There's a lot of folks who are working those kind of industry jobs that I, I honor very much, you know, because those are very hard work and, and they do so much, right? But at the fundamental basis, I think when the pandemic hit, right, and we realized that jobs were just like, I also realized there was massive isolation because we had a lot of communities that were very much deserted in a lot of ways, right? So now these communities lack parks that the kids could go to that were safe, lack the grocery stores, lack the clinics, and they were landlocked. They were literally landlocked. And it really made me heartbroken to think about our elders who were even more landlocked, you know? Now they couldn't just walk to the bus to get them anywhere, you know, they would, they needed to really rely on, on private mobility because of the fear of the pandemic, right? As you're moving through, through public buses. And I know they've done a lot of good job uh, through the public realm Mm -hmm. in the public transportation realm, but it really opened me up to a new thought, which is, you're right. it, It is based on a lot of the tribal ways and a lot of tribal thinking was that, you know, I started to have this idea of like, what does it mean to like bridge ecosystem, right? And neighborhoods. Right. And then that and then the term that came out for me was ecohoods, you know, and an ecosystem is filled with every single thing those animals and the native flora and the fauna in the area need. Right. And the neighborhoods would be our community factor, which would be like our youth, our elders and everybody in between. And I started to really meditate and visualize like what does an ecohood look like? It actually means that every single neighborhood not only needs frequent buses and needs frequent access to to move through space, it literally needs to have every single thing within 20 minutes of a walking distance. And I thought, well, holy moly, if we did that, we'd already eliminate so much of our carbon footprint, you know? And it made me think about like, yeah, what if, what if actually the elders were the teacher of the kids so that during the, cause we have two teenagers at home. We have an 11 year old and a 15 year old and they were landlocked to their bedrooms. And, and, you know, we still had to work. And I just thought like, geez, wouldn't it be so great if we had organized our elders to be the teachers and then they could just rotate between the neighborhood elders and they could go learn. Yeah. Like, I'm like, it's so it's there. Our world of possibilities is right here in front of our faces. And I, and I think we go circumvent some times uh, to get to what's already there. Like our richness, especially in a lot of neighborhoods of youth of color, you know, there, I think about all the grandparents and the parents that came from places where they've learned so much about like, whether it's planting or building homes out of like what they call palapas, uh, palm fronds. You know, there's there's so much knowledge already that our kids could have been imparted, and 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 we lost it because we we devalue the knowledge that our elders bring to the table. Wow. How do you yeah. think this happened? At what point did this happen to? I want to say predominantly the Western society, because you you don't see mm. it in a lot of other. Uh, I want to say in, in villages that I've I've visited, the, it's very much about this community and using the resources in this effective and efficient way. What happened to us in Western society? What are the factors? What are the obstacles against creating that type of environment here? Yeah, I I, I meditate on that a lot, and I, I think actually the fact that you all had me opening up with the blessing, you know, it does make a difference to really spiritually ground ourselves and even materially, like, like set aside our thoughts about religion and spirituality, just to take a moment to acknowledge all the elements, the native flora and fauna, like that, that is not political. That is not religious. Like that is literally what sustains our livelihood. 
And and the only thing I can imagine, because I even think about some of the history that I've heard from a, a lot of the European cultures, is that I'm like, yeah, there was actually really earthy people there. You know, I, I've heard of some really earthy tribes there too, who were demolished, right? During during imperialism forces and et cetera. And, and I think like, yeah, like everybody needs to go back to the roots. And that literally means going back to earth roots. Like, what does it look like to live in equilibrium in earth and to learn about that from your own culture? Even from the cultures that, you know, said the Western cultures that are disconnected, like actually there's roots there too of people who are living in equilibrium with the earth for thousands and thousands of years. And, and I think it requires some unearthing. And I and I don't know where it went wrong. You know, I know capitalism is is something that has been made, flavored and manipulated. And, and at this point, you know, yes, it is still predominantly upholding like uh, white supremacy and classism, but a lot of people from different parts of the world are also entering that, right? That is a total disregard to human life, the way it's being done now, you know, the way that it's being done now, it's just disregarding life. Uh, I have a friend that that I, I want to mention, his name is Ade, he, he owns a black or worker owned uh, bike shop in Amara Park, actually, and he talked about this idea that business has always been there between community. But the sense of, of greed and measuring your value through money, that, that's, a, that's an illusion. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. It makes me think, Nava, you know, Nava and I were having this conversation like last night. We were talking about living from an authentic space as opposed mm. to living from an external, you know, space, which is primarily driven, which he talked about, capitalism, materialism, right? Competition. Individualism, competition, yeah. right, right. And I'm thinking about the impact of social media on young people, on our community, and how we, we live such you know, heavily curated lives in the space of social media, right? Which is really incompatible with a kind of authenticity, you know, a kind of self-inner driven kind of authenticity that comes from a relationship to the inner part of ourselves. It also seems very like contradictory to a lot of indigenous teachings and wisdoms. And I'm wondering if you can talk, talk about that, the tension between social media, how it imposes this kind of, you know, prioritizing of the external self in a heavily curated space, and the really deep kind of spiritually centered need to live authentically from the inside out. I'm wondering if you could talk about that. Yeah, I worry about that. Yeah. You know, I, wor I worry about the social media impact. You know, I, I the statistics are out, you know, we're seeing unfortunately, youth really struggle with higher rates of suicidality, depression and grief often because what we're seeing on social media is a Disneyland, you know, report. It's a it's a it's a fantasy world that we're seeing being reported on on social media. And, and it, even me as an adult, I sometimes get trapped in it and be like, oh, man, my day's bad. And everybody else's day was awesome, you know, because like you said, everybody curates it. It's not like anybody comes up there and goes today was a really bad day because X, Y, Z. And I'm going to put that on blast, you know. And, and so it really worries me because our youth are really having to struggle and really critically break down like what's realistic and what's an illusion right and so there's that part of social media that wor that worries me right it's just that there, there, it, it's a loss, loss of touch and sense almost right and then on the flip side you know I, and i think about like a lot of social media activists too and who are doing the work to be like well we can also use this tool to promulgate and move forward some of the indigenous values. And I also see that. I see a lot of retakening by a lot of really incredible yeah. young folks who are just being like, you know what, if we're going to use social media, it's going to be all the way positivity and it's going to be sharing like our own ancestral identities, culture, language. It's how I ended up in a Nahuapipil class, to be frank. You know, I'm taking a Nahuapipil class with Acuidandolas 
And I saw it on social media and I'm so grateful that I did because then I, I realized there is a silver lining, you know, and, and, and these tools, we can either use them in ways that are like focused on consumerism, capitalism, right? Or you can use it on, a, on the ability to expand, grow your knowledge, grow your community. Um, and I think for us, our work as like the adults who are navigating our youth, because we have two youth is like help them have healthy boundaries with social media. And to really be like, this is a tool. This does not own me. Like this social media is a tool and I'm going to navigate it and pick up the fruits that are mature and ripen in a good way that would feed me wholesome, right? Because people have that opportunity to do that on social media. Thank goodness to a lot of the work that a lot of young activists and organizers are doing out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to go back to that place of just that intergenerational relationship between the previous generations and the one that we're seeing right now. For the most part, the younger generation, from what I've heard, because I work a lot with youth, is that the previous generation, the older generation, is very disconnected. They don't really understand the injustices underneath the surface. And we are in the place that we are now because of the lack of action that, that has occurred. And then I feel when you talk to the older generations, they're saying that children, youth, are very entitled that they're lazy don't give them the credit that their capacity actually deserves how do you because you work in that space of bridging these two generations together how do you bridge those generations one and the other what is the harm when they're not bridged what happens no that's a very powerful powerful uh point of of conversation that we need to have and i've definitely seen that with the tension between the youth and the elders you know i'm i'm perfectly situated to be a bridge, you know, at this moment in time in my life. And, and I really take that role really serious. You know, a lot of the way that I've been thinking about this is that we absolutely have to listen to the wisdom of the elders. And we also have to listen to the leadership of the youth. And I think that that has been a disconnect that's been happening on both ends where we haven't taught. I know for me, speaking of myself, like even as a young person, I'm like in hindsight, I'm like, gosh, I wish I had more elders who had imparted wisdom to me a little bit earlier, right? To to prevent some of those mistakes that I made that did cause me me harm or others harm because I think the elders could have helped me kind of maybe maneuver through that a little bit better, maybe. But I also see on the flip side, elders who may be quote unquote stuck in their ways, right? Or, or what is often deemed as stuck, stuck in their ways and the youth having the frustration with them not moving along into where the, the progressive youth angle is, right? And we really have to do both. And I have a really wonderful teacher named Olivia Chumacero. Please check her workout. It's at Everything is Medicine. And I love the way she teaches as an elder. Like she's very much motivated to know that her role is an elder and to share and impart that wisdom. And, and, and she sees it as a responsibility, but she's always flexible and open to hearing what the youth have to say. And she always tells us that she's like, look, if I'm making a mistake, you got to tell me, I won't know. So Humility. to create that space. And that's a really good place to learn from an elder to be like, I have to act as an elder because I have the privilege, right, of authority. I have to actively create the space where my youth and my students feel like they can also question, challenge me and move me forward in a good way, right? But the elders have to do that. And the youth have to have that open-mindedness and that open-heartedness that there is something there for them to learn and to grow with and that they too can impart that knowledge. And so that way you almost create an equilibrium of power dynamics. And in some cultures, there isn't that same elder says that, hey, in, in my culture, there isn't an authority of like only an elder gets to choose. Like sometimes the vision might come from a young person 
And then everybody follows that. There are things that, you know, we, we need to figure out how to like deconstruct that hierarchy that we've even created amongst age. But there, there is pertinent roles, right? Like, absolutely. Like elders have the experience, the wisdom, the know-how, you know, but youth have a lot of the leadership, the growing capacity and that really sprouting energy that, that we really need to spread our wings into. Yeah. That's amazing. You know, I always, I always try and tell myself at least that every person, they're their own soul and each of them have their own gifts and capacities and mm -hmm. abilities, regardless of their age. When you start putting aside one person and then putting aside another, you're actually removing these beautiful potential resources from a table of consultation mm -hmm. where incredible fruits can actually occur. And we have to start seeing people as, as souls rather than saying that where did they come from? You know, what is their socioeconomic background? What is their cultural background? How old are they? And removing that. It's really powerful because it, it reminds us who we really all are at the fundamental basis. If you could just strip down yes. all these things that actually yes. have been fabricated and created, right? Yeah. And and to your point, yes, like racism is very real. It has a very material effect on our bodies. And yet it's been fabricated yeah. and manipulated and, and some body of humans decided to create this thing, right? So just as it was created, we can unveil that and realize like who we really are. And I, from what I understand in my teachings, like our job as humans is to really create that like to caretake for our land and that's why i always like to use the words of stewarding our streets right stewarding our neighbors stewarding our communities because that's our job as human beings it's not only to take care of each other and ourselves as humans but to be like hey who's a native flora and fauna? oh hey this this tree provides shade i'm responsible to take care of it hey these birds provide the pollination that which grows my food i'm responsible to take care of them make sure they have water and food etc right and so yeah we really got to start shifting our mind and and obviously it's been very visible in the way that climate change has impacted terribly all over the world in various ways right whether it's extreme heats fires or extreme cold those are repercussions of us not doing our job as human beings uh, that we have with this earth that's so powerful I'm, I'm thinking about there's a wonderful quote from the baha'i teachings that says that the earth is one country and mankind are its citizens so that we're all connected. It's the same thing that you're talking about. There's interconnection, it's interdependence, right? And it's something that is not theoretical, it's not an intellectual exercise, right? It is a fundamental truth of how we all have been created, how we've come into existence. And you know, you, you've talked about this incredible, this beautiful relationship between generations, between the old and the young. I'm interested in the idea of rupture, right? When there is rupture in communities between generations and relationships, how do we go about the process of repairing that so that we can restore, you know, that notion of us all being interconnected and interdependent and move beyond to a place of wholeness collectively? So I'm just wondering if you had any ideas about that. About Masood, I would love to ask, when you mean rupture, can you give like some examples? Yeah, because I'm thinking about like, okay, so I'm thinking about like just if you have, there's abuse in the family. Maybe somebody yeah. does something that is completely irresponsible and has an impact on everybody in the community. So how do we go, to, go about the process of repair in relationships when there is rupture and people are legitimately upset or angry about what has occurred? Hmm. 
Yeah, no, thank you for that powerful uh, question again. I've been meditating on, on that piece a lot. You know, I, I also grew up in a home that in the eyes of what Western calls would deem, you know, quote unquote, abusive, right? And I grew up in a home like that and it created definitely a lot of rupture, particularly with my father. And I, I've been on a journey to, on a healing journey to figure out like, to see him as a human, to see him for what he went through and to understand that what he did, yes, was not correct, some of the abuses that he he had he imparted on me my brothers and my mom but also to see him like literally see him as a human like if i could step away from being you know a child of his and, and look at him and really take a bird's eye view of his life and being like how horrific is it that my dad you know who grew up in tiquisat de guatemala and his name is wilfredo how how horrific is it that you know he grew up first learning how to do everything, being sustenance farmers, what they would call sustenance farmers, like literally being able to raise and grow the food that you need, you know, and then even use it to trade. And then for that land to be taken away for the cattle industry, for the banana industry, for the cane sugar industry. And then it was taken away and at 11, you were left on your own to fend because, hey, grandma couldn't even, grandma couldn't even provide at that point or his mom at that point couldn't provide. And then he was literally at age 11 with no shoes, like figuring out how he was going to make it. And then he made it, you know, he, he you know, I, he would be called the rags to riches story. He figured it out somehow. It's an accounting and got into real estate and he was successful materially. And I have had to really sit with that humble compassion for my dad to be like, yo, like for him, that was the biggest success he could do as a father. Like to him, he's just like, I did it. Like change the intergenerational trauma of like desperate poverty, like literally poverty that causes starvation. Right. And he didn't make a lot of great choices, right? But I, I've realized that part of that rupture is not necessarily that I'm going to make amends or that I'm going to be close to my father or that I, we don't need to have space. But it, it's figuring out that I need to carry that forgiveness in my fa in, for my father and for myself and, and to be able to see that he did the best he could do as a father and that it's almost like he passed the baton. I can only think about it that way. Like he passed the baton. He kept me alive, literally. Like we, we, were, we were in danger of being killed and he kept me alive. Like I'm the seed now. And now my responsibility is going to be like, forgive my father what he did, but I'm not going to carry that weight anymore on my shoulders. And I'm going to now take it as a responsibility to remember my roots Remember my dad's roots, which I know is Mayan, and remember my mom's roots, which is Nahuapipil, and to really start learning and incorporating that because I think that's the best gift I can give back to my ancestors. And, and that's the only way I can think about how to, how to make with that abuse because some of that abuse is real, and some of it means that you really do need to step away. You know, But there is other ways you can transform that energy of anger, of sadness, and grief into something that can create action and so that we can still be proud of who we are. Because we know that the systems that be led to the situation that made my dad abusive, where I don't think if we were living in tribal situations and my dad was well-fed and there wasn't all this traumatic stuff going on, that I don't think my dad would be that way, right? So that's where the human compassion side has to come in for my dad and for myself. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. Wow, man, I tell you, this has been such an amazing conversation. And I just feel really fortunate that Nav and I have been able to be in this space with you and to learn from the you know, the experiences that you've had in your life and the way that you have engaged in social activism and uh, advocacy. And I'm wondering, you know, as we begin the, the, to close this out, what's the, what's the vision? Like, what, what is the, if you had an end goal in mind, <laughs> how would you frame that? What would that look like for you? 
you know, a lot of what I what I've been doing now has, you know, and I think I've talked about this yesterday when we were having a conversation was this idea that for so long, a lot of my yeah, a lot of that anger I found funneled into some organizing some very, very youth hardcore organizing on the streets, um, which was really wonderful. And I'm glad and I'm really so powerful that youth do that. And now a lot of it's centered around my family and making sure like, hey, like, we have to be grounded in our families to really make sure that we don't replicate the same mistakes, right? Of running out. Um, and, and a lot of the teachings have to really be even in the most smallest, mindful, minute ways, right? Which is like, how do how are we eating? Are we driving or biking or walking there? Can we make a different choice? Are we recycling? Can we reduce our waste? You know, and these are very tiny things that we can do at home, but they do have a large effect on our youth. Absolutely. And then to continue the work of advocacy, continue the work of spreading the message, you know, and for us, at least with, with my partner, Sochikoyo, it's been about like really teaching our kids and prioritizing that our kids really need to start learning their own ancestral ways. And it's beautiful because they're being raised in these ways, you know, and, and we see them also be potential beacon of lights for themselves in the future, but also for like their community, their peers to be like, hey, come along, like, Actually, learning about your ancestral roots is powerful. It's fun. It, it's something we can enjoy. Um, and in that vision, you know, really, again, like not only connecting with our own ancestral roots, but the roots of the very land we're walking on. So we can remember how to take care of the native flora, how to take care of the native fauna, how to take care of the water, the air, the wind, you know, all the elements that be it, like being deciding how do I walk in a way that takes care of them, not only talking it, but like, how am I going to walk in it? How am I going to get off? How do I get off this screen and make sure I do that? And that's something I see for all of us to do. Because honestly, I, I do believe that that's part of our power. And part of our power is in that self-discipline, that self-reflection, and that motivation to make those changes. And to, yeah, let let the corporations that maybe are causing destruction to be like, I'm not going to buy your products. It's not for our not for our families it's not for our communities it's not for our earth like i'm not going to give you any more power i always think about that like our money is powerful it is you know it's like i decide where i'm going to give the money to and who i'm feeding you know but like hey i can take that money and i can also give it to the local farmers the local artisans the local cultural producers like there's we can take that money and give it to our elders and have them have speaking engagements there's so many ways that we can also still use we quote unquote capitalism as a tool to better uplift our, our communities, but it's going to decide it, each one of us has to make that decision. I love that. You know, and I, so I'm thinking about that. Yeah, that's great. And I, and I hear in you this idea of intentionality, making a commitment to something larger than yourself and this kind of integration of hu humanness or humanity with the earth, with a love and respect for the earth and also wisdom, deep wisdom. This has been freaking amazing. Uh, yo, I really, really appreciate you spending some time with Nala and Ariel. Yeah. You know, we wanted to close out, of the, you know, we wanted to know if there was uh, an organization as we, you know, hopefully inspire our youth to get engaged and actually translate their ideas into, into the field of action. Are there organizations or an organization that you could point young people who um, will be watching this podcast and that they can get plugged in and get involved and make a contribution? Is there um, any, any place mm. in particular they get plugged in? You know, that that's interesting because what I'm thinking about right now is all the grandpas and grandmas who are holding down the fort, you know, and that each youth, if they can find their, their local community elders, especially if they're from that very land or from their own communities, right, as, as best as they can. It could even be their own auntie that they maybe are, are, are not paying attention to, but to really give that time. And if they could offer, if they can't offer money, because I know youth are limited with the, the money, is offer the time and the listening, because I don't think 
anything fuels our our elders better than knowing that their teachings are going to stay alive with us because they've been holding it yeah. for the ancestors. Wow. So that that's the best I, you know I can recommend. But there's definitely organizations that I say check out. I like I said I like my elders organization. Uh, was well, not an organization, but it's a philosophy of life. It's called Everything Is Medicine. It's good stuff to go learn there to get your own medicine to get your own tracking. And then there's also Cuidando Las Que Nos Cuidan, but that's a Cushcatan. That's a very Nahuapipil specific one, but that's where I'm learning Nahuapipil. And again, I just encourage you to really dig in as deep as you can with your own ancestral roots and the roots of the land and make those connections the best that you can. Thank you. And then what would you say, vice versa, what would you say to our, our elders in, in how they approach or, or the relationships with the, with the younger population? That's a great question, Nava. I really, I really appreciate that. Yeah, <laughs> they, they, I mean, our elders are really going to have to get out there and, and um, also get on the social media if you need to, you know, get, get on whatever platform that the youth are at and make yourself available. You know, I want to send a message of, of encouragement to our elders to know that you are valued, that there is people looking for you, and that even if it's just one or two ears, that's going to expand further and to, to just know that you're cared for and loved for. So get yourself out there in whatever format you can you know, and value yourself too. You know, I, I know that sometimes our elders uh, give so much, but yeah, you know, everybody needs to be conscious that we need to fairly compensate them and literally give them a value that's both monetarily and respectfully uh, for their time and knowledge. So that's what I would say is get out there and make connections the best you can with whatever ears that are listening and, and ready to take the knowledge. Wow. I always have this conversation with youth who don't feel, they, they feel so cynical about, and, and, and rightly so, mm-hmm. I mean, you call it a realist, about what is happening in the world today. And there is this complete lack of hope. And there's not this understanding of the power that each person, their part has to play in, in creating transformation. Mm-hmm. What would you say to someone with that idea and that mentali- mentality? How would you talk to them what is the examples you would draw from about the power that each person has to play i i get it you know that despair is very real this particular last year did not did not make the make it easier i can i can see it in our youth i see it even myself i see it in my partner that despair is very real you know and i i think it's important to acknowledge that that despair that grief that mourning that we're going through as a community and we're alive. One of the quotes that I tell myself every day, the best gift I can give myself is the present. It really matters to me because when I'm in the present, I can literally just look up to the sky and go away. There's a blue sky, there's sun. I'm I'm being touched by the breeze. I'm drinking a cup of water. Oh my gosh, I have food on the table, whatever food it is. And I have a friend, I have a partner, I have two, two kids. And those little things in the present are the ones that give you the most hope, the most motivation and inspiration to keep moving forth. And so we really have to get grounded, literally us as the center, you know, like we are the center, we're holding that. And that the more we can fuel and nourish ourselves with positive thoughts, positive friends, positive food, you know, really good nature time, like making sure you get out to nature to refuel and recharge, you know, the more you can be a beacon of light to just really hope and really could put a prayer and intention that we we have the power as humans and not to doubt ourselves that we don't have that power as humans to really make the changes that we are looking for and seeking for you know i think a lot about what 
a lot of the Mayan, you know, prophecies have said during the end of the Baktun was that this was going to be a turning point for humans. And each one of us has to make that decision. Who cares about what the other people are deciding? You know, sometimes so easy to get trapped into like the mainstream, like, well, nobody cares. I shouldn't care. But the reality is we carry whatever energy we carry, we carry it and we put it onto the world. So it's like, we got to just clean it up and, and just trust and have full faith in our own humanity and full faith that there's, there is other humans out there doing that work that prayer, that intention, and they're living their lives. And that if we could just bird's eye view and look at the globe, like we're interconnected in this really beautiful, amazing way. And that those vibrations will eventually rock and shake the rest of the world who need, need that consciousness to remember who they are as humans. Yeah. Wow. And I think also that uh, this is beautiful. Mm -hmm. I love all of what you just said. And I, that idea that progress, it's not instantaneous. Mm -hmm. I think we have yeah. this expectation that when we act and when we move, there's going to be some immediate result. Yeah. But that we have to, we have to know mm -hmm. that anything that we've ever seen, any change that has ever happened in the world has been step by step by step and has begun initially by one or two or three, four people. I mean, revolutions or inventions and discoveries, you know, uh, and a lot of it done by young people. So for those that are feeling um, super cynical about that, the reality. Yeah, that reminds me of, of the, I think there's like a very often, often metaphor that's used like the hundred monkey theory where literally like one that. monkey that picks up a banana <laughs> yeah. just by eating it communicates through to another hundred monkeys like hey you can eat the banana right and so we have to believe that we can do that too that if our minds can be really clear vision and focus that we we know we're going to impact the rest of the world whether without using words you know without using words just really believing that you know and, and then what you said about this little thing often when i talk about doing advocacy work and at and organizing especially a, a in the DOTs, in the transportation realm, in the government agencies, I think about literally biomimicry. I think about the earth and I think about, oh, how does earth break down boulders? Creates fissures of water and fissures look small, but enough fissures will disrupt the boulder, you know? And so we, nature gives us the examples for what we can do. Yeah. Wow, this has been amazing. That's and, awesome. you know, you talked uh, just a little while ago about, uh, you used the metaphor of food and, mm -hmm. um, and, and, and eating and sharing. And I just really want to, thinking about that, I just really want to thank you for bringing this food of spirit, of engagement, of activism, of wisdom to the table and allowing us to break bed with you in this space. So I just really appreciate you. Celebrate the work you're doing. I know Nav and I are both so honored to have had yeah. you here. And yo, we are, we are praying for you and yeah. just sending out encouragement and love for everything that you're engaged in and you're doing. Your work is not easy. It's a very hard road. Yeah my kind of prayers and thoughts are that doors will just keep opening yeah. because it's important work that you're doing. Mm. Um, even though you have to knock them down most of the time, because mm -hmm. there's a lot of resistance that I know you face. It's, uh, it's so important. And thank you for doing mm. it. Yeah. But to both of you, thank you so much for all the beautiful work you all are about to continue to embark on. Like, yeah, literally our vibrations coming in together to, to help, yeah, you know, to absolutely. help transform minds and hearts and thoughts and, and unify. Absolutely. So thank you all, both of you, for the work you're doing. And it's been wonderful to get to know you and to learn about your work. Thank this you so is, much, Hopefully Rio. this is the beginning of our relationship, yes, Rio. Yes. We want to be involved <laughs> and we want to learn more and more and do more. So thank you for being here. Thank you, Rio.